So the space between those two things, intention and attention, is called integrity. What you intend is great, it's powerful, super powerful. It's the secret, if you want to call it that. But what you put attention to, well, the gap, the bridge between those two is integrity. Because if you can intend it and you can attend to it, then you will be in integrity with yourself. And that builds everything. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Patrick Cook. Welcome to Being. As founder of the Superhero Academy, Mark Angelo Coppola strives to empower social entrepreneurs and sustainable business leaders to be bold, dynamic, engaging storytellers, aka everyday superheroes. Having co-founded the Valhalla Co-op Farms outside of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, Mark Angelo has built a sustainable community by applying the skills of entrepreneurship and storytelling. Mark Angelo's thirst for exploring new ideas and ways of growing the sustainability movement into a mainstream lifestyle are unquenchable. Mark Angelo Coppola, welcome to being. If you're enjoying the content, please do subscribe to the show and get a new episode delivered directly to your device every Friday. And as always, I love hearing from you. So please do rate and review the episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whichever platform you prefer. Also, I'm proud to announce that the show is now available on YouTube. And you can also follow us on our new Instagram page, at Being with Patrick Cook. For show notes and more information, head on over to being-podcast.com. Now, on with the show. Mark Angelo Coppola, welcome to Being. Thanks for being here, brother. Happy to be here. Nice. Uh, so you and I met about a year and a half ago on a remote island off the coast of Madagascar, where, <laughs> where you had to helicopter in. It was an event called Unconventional Life, which was just absolutely magical, that experience. But you know, I was so enthralled and drawn to your energy and your passion you know, for learning and for you know, creating meaningful, lasting impact in the world. It was just so enticing. I was just like, wow, this guy is so aligned, so with it, and so humble as well. You know? And so it's just an honor to have you on the show and just uh, to dive in and see where you're at. Absolutely. Yeah, no, the honor is mine. And you know, it's amazing how our energy has impact on other people. And we don't fully realize it. You know right. what I mean? Like, obviously I know that I connect with you. Obviously I know that I, you know, I meet people and there's certain people I jive more with than others, but it's, it's always beautiful to hear. So I really, I appreciate the, uh, the kind words. My pleasure. That reminds me actually of, uh, your definition of ROI, which is typically return on investment, but you redefine it as ripple of impact. And that is just yep. so profound. I love it. Yep. And you are the owner and the proprietor of the superhero Academy. And yeah. I remember the the workshop that you presented at that event was exactly about that, about your hero's journey, becoming the superhero of your own life. So mm. I thought maybe a good place to start today was just uh, maybe you could take us through your own hero's journey. Like what has it been your experience to bring you to this moment? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things. I was born, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, somehow I came into this, uh, into this universe and world. Um, I mean, you know, for me, a lot changed without a doubt when I was graduating university and I absolutely hated it. I, I was at the time I was a full-time entrepreneur. You know, I identified as a student and as an entrepreneur. I'd been an entrepreneur for three years while I was in university. And on my last exam, on the back of the exam, I actually wrote out kind of a manifesto. Awesome. It, it just flowed through me. I mean, the entire time I was I was studying for this exam, I was literally listening to the uh, Rec Room for a Dream soundtrack, which Ooh. is a very dark. Kind very of dark. It was, I was testing the idea of like every time I study for a specific exam, I would play the exact same track over and over and over and over again so that I can kind of just hum the track during the exam and then kind of pull something out. Nice. And what ended up happening is I was humming this track and kind of finished the exam pretty quickly. And I had a little bit of time. And honestly, I was like, there was a few questions left, but I just was humming this and it, and it just spewed out of me. There was this, I don't know, inspiration. Some people say it comes from some divine force whatever you believe, it just came through me. I took a picture on the back of the exam. I asked the, you know, the, the TAs or whatever, the, the people officiating the exam, if I yeah. could take a picture when I was handing it in, of course. And um, <laughs> it ended up turning into a massive kind of redefining of what it meant to be a student and 
how I wasn't going to let schooling get in the way in my education and how I wasn't going to let traditional education or going to university and getting a degree and doing all that kind of stuff get in the way of what I wanted to do because I had, I had tasted and tested and, and spent an enormous amount of time being an entrepreneur. So I was going to school full-time and I was working full-time in my own business, and mm. which I ended up selling and traveling the world and doing a bunch of other stuff. And so long story short is in that moment, I decided I was going to watch 52 documentaries in a year, one documentary a week for 52 weeks straight. And it drastically shifted my outlook on life. I had already learned a little bit about where money was coming from. I had definitely seen some documentaries before that were definitely very enticing and definitely made me become, a, let's say, an alternative thinker of sorts, right. a conspiracy theorist, if you will, too. Then I started to watch a documentary about all kinds of different topics, whether it be the vanishing of the bees or peak oil or challenges we were facing with climate change, whatever it was, it was mm. constantly putting me in this narrative where what I understood was that 95% of these documentary were spending their time telling me there was a problem, kind of sounding the alarm, saying, we have to do something. And about 5% of the time, they're like, and maybe this is what you can kind of do. And oh, I dude. always recognized that the feeling I had, like the, the visceral feeling that I had at the end of each one of these documentaries was, man, I feel really small. Right. Man, I feel like I really can't do anything about this, or I don't really know what I can create out of this. And I just decided that I was going to change my perspective. I was going to walk out into the middle of a GMO corn and soya field, plant a tree and declare that I built a school I wish I could have gone to physically and digitally. And mm. that happened. I, I started a farm and a movement called the Valhalla Movement and Valhalla Farms. And that's an 80 acre property 20 minutes away from downtown Montreal that's transforming into an eco village and a community center and a learning center. And it's really, you know, it's a labor of love in every way, you know, pun intended. <laughs> and then the other half of that is Superhero Academy, and that's the online school version of it. It really started as a podcast, me kind of interviewing interesting, smarter people than me. And that's why I still run my podcast. It's still called Superhero Academy Podcast, but it turned into kind of a school where I, I focused on what mentorship would look like if I had to breed more entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and influencers, right? What would it look like to truly teach people to think like an entrepreneur, to think like a somebody who has, you know, sovereignty and freedom and kind of financially, you know, merge the ROI of return on investment, as you pointed out, and the other ROI ripple of impact. And mm. so to me, those two things have marked my, my career for a long time. I learned videography. I, I learned, you know, web design development, you know, more from the sales side of things and running kind of and building an agency on that front. I learned everything about influencer marketing, social media, storytelling, all these kinds of things. And it's kind of led me down this path where I tell stories for a living now which is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, Super cool. Wow. Yeah. What a journey, man. And I, I got chills when you're talking about the documentaries and how they focused on the problems mm. and not the solutions. And that's been my experience more so than not with almost every podcast, every show, every documentary I watch is yeah. this, this doom and gloom. This is how bad it is. And frankly, I understand we need to understand the problem space fully in order to come up with good solutions. But the fact that we're focused yep. so fully on it you know, it's almost like we're helping to manifest these negative outcomes by focusing so fully on it without giving proper light to the solution space. So what you're doing is so, so powerful and resonates so deeply with me. And frankly, that's a question I've been asking myself more and more daily is not only what's best for me, not what's best for my business or my bottom line or my even my relationships, what's best for me and the whole simultaneously. Totally. And I think that's what you're getting at. And so for it's me, it's exactly what I'm getting at. I, mean, yeah. I call it solving the tragedy of the commons. And there honestly, I truly believe that the number one thing that's best for you is actually to think about your community because your community is going to support you. That's how your business, that's how all my life is run, hmm. right? I've done amazing things for amazing people. Yeah. And then those people talk to other people and eventually people call me up and, and they have some request or some question that they have for me. And, and you know, I'm, my, how I pay my bills and how I make this kind of stuff happen is magic and, and, and hard work, right? I've been an entrepreneur for 14 years as of tomorrow or whatever. Yeah. As of tomorrow, I've been an entrepreneur for 14 years. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. dude, I'm like two years in, so I've got a lot of learning ahead of me, but it's <laughs> what, what, what a journey though. What a fascinating, like revealing journey to really dive into what's under the surface for me individually. And then to you know use that knowledge and move through that space of more grounded wholeness awareness into the world to be of service. And that's what entrepreneurship is for me. But I think there are some major challenges to what you're talking about, the tragedy of the comments. How do we solve this on a global level with so many factors like environmental, financial collapse, racism, you know, all the things that you can go down the list that are critical existential factors right now? 
what is at the base root of all of it in your opinion like what do we need to change first yeah i so this is a big question it is a big question i'll I'll say (laughs) that i say that i I don't have all the answers obviously Uh, either do i but world problem and hunger and all the challenges on the planet but But it is a worthy discussion it is it is And, and what i can say is what i've learned building community both physically and digitally is at first, when I first started Valhalla on the farm and all these things, it was really about a revolution mindset. It's like, we have to change everyone. Everything has to change. And if yeah. everyone knew better, they would do better and, and yeah. so on and so forth. And I was kind of hell bent on really changing the way that people thought about things and the way yeah. they perceived the world and, and dealt with you know the challenges that we were facing. And so I really focused a lot on that exact aspect of things, change. Right. How can I change people yeah. and the way they believe? And, and now I've actually kind of retraced my steps and I would say that I'm focused a lot less on change and I'm focused a lot more on what I would consider to be inevitabilities. And so there's some level of way that humans respond to the world around them and to the opportunities around them and to doing the right or wrong thing Mm. based on whether or not certain things are an inevitability. And what I mean by that is as long as something, a technology, for example, is better than the existing system, it is inevitable that that technology will eventually beat out the current system. And even if it's not that exact one, mm. the next one or something similar to it will beat out that old system and that old paradigm will start to kind of melt away. So for mm. example, to me, cryptocurrencies and blockchain enable a better system of exchange that is more trackable, traceable, simpler, better for cross-national or inter- international travel. It's better for a thousand and one different reasons than the current banking system. Mm. Now, am I saying you should go and throw all your money into Bitcoin tomorrow? No, but there is an enormous amount of value and that technology and the systems of that technology are an inevitability that will motivate us to learn more and more about how these things work and how we can participate in them. And yes, the existing power structures and the existing financial system and all the money that's going to flow into it is not all going to come from the everyday you and me people. They're also going to come from institutions and people take looking to take advantage of those things. Mm. But inevitably, that technology is going to be better. So is self-driving cars and electric cars, in my personal opinion. Why? Well, it's because it's easier for me to not drive than it is for me to drive. And as mm. long as self-driving cars are better than human cars, meaning we have less accidents, they perform better, at the end of the day, there is an inevitability to that change. And so mm. what I've learned from people like Elon Musk is, you know, he kind of operates in something called first principles thinking, which is much more of like a physics kind of way of looking at the world. And I would say yeah. that I operate from first principles thought, which is there's a way that humans make decisions that is very, very clearly self-motivated. And if we can align those self-motivations with the collective good Mm. and the solutions of sorts or some level of the solutions or the direction of the solutions at a minimum, and we make those solutions inevitable, well, then we empower people to make those choices. Mm. And so it's come to my, you know, just my understanding that I'm not really going to motivate an enormous wave of people to change their reality and the way that they think about themselves, specifically when it comes to self-preservation and things that are essentially inherently human. Yeah. Right? And I say human, instinctual, even animals have yeah. these instincts, right? Yeah. So yeah. there's elements of humanity and life that are not going to be changed. They are first principle-like mm. when it comes to our social dynamics. And so rather than trying to fight the tide, I've decided to kind of work with it, right? How can I use, just so you, you know, if you, you've ever studied anything in, in um, martial arts, you know, some of the martial arts will teach you that instead of trying to meet a fist with something that stops it, why not use the power of the momentum that is already there to kind of let it flow into the next piece. Mm. And I think companies like SpaceX and Tesla have done those types of things. Like satellite internet is going to be better than non-satellite internet for many, many places on the planet. It's going to disrupt naturally because it is a better system than what we currently have in many different ways. Now, is it better in high density locations like New York City? No. Is it going to be better, however, if you're in the middle of Wyoming? Absolutely. And so that company or that organization or that technology is going to win and that's going to make ripples in the system. And Mm. so I think that there's a lot of technologies and a lot of solutions that require us to consider what is better, but there are a lot of things that we still don't quite know about. And so there Mm. is a war, let's say an info war on what we pay attention to. And it's actually not just perpetrated by some they group of people behind some curtain with smoke in the background. It's not quite like that, I don't think. 
at least I don't feel so. I used to think so in many ways. I do think there are people who conspire to keep technologies or things in, under wraps. There are people conspire to, you know, uh, stop the status quo from moving into a new paradigm and, and kind of maintain the old one. But I also think that there is really just truly a problem with what we pay attention to and the, and the links and the clicks and the things that we spend our time, energy, attention, money, resources on, on everyday basis. Mm. And so unless we can kind of find inherently self-motivating aspects of the solution and carry that narrative forward and carry that, hey, if you do it this way, this is actually better for you and here's why, there's huge opportunity. And so mm. That's why things like, um, you know, some people don't really like the idea of cap and trade system, for example, right? It's, it's trading carbon taxes, for example. So, you know, people who sequester carbon or, you know, eliminate carbon out of the atmosphere will get and receive tax credits or money from people who don't or are putting carbon in the atmosphere, in right. a sense. And that is an inherently kind of an economic way of transferring wealth from those who are polluting to those who aren't polluting or those who are sequestering. And that inherently will bring about more and more and more motivation for us to embody the solution. Mm. And so, you know, I've yelled for years that I think people should plant trees. And when I started talking about the economics of why I think one tree today, which you buy, let's say a fruit tree today, you buy for 25 bucks or a two-year-old fruit tree. In its lifetime, it will sequester one ton of carbon in 40 years, let's assume, right? That one ton of carbon in Canada right now is $30. And by 2030, it's going to be $170 mm. per carbon ton. And that's only going to increase because the problem, the runaway train that is climate change is a big issue. The second I explain to them that if they buy a tree today, it's actually one of the best investments they can make and inherently is the best thing that they can do for their wallet. All of a sudden, it's not just planting a tree anymore. It's actually an investment. And then it's self-motivated. It's playing into the natural force that is our inherent. And mm. I would love to believe in a world where we are less greedy and we can conquer some of these things. And I think that that's possible and we do sway in certain moments. But I think that most of why Bitcoin is high right now is because we're greedy and that's fine. You know what I mean? I think most <laughs> of why Tesla shares are skyrocketing to the moon is because we're greedy and that's okay. And because it's still passing the torch in the right direction, right. my version of the right direction. Yeah. Wow, man. So much to unpack there. So much wisdom jammed into that. And I resonate with a lot of what you're saying. One of the things I want to come back to, though, is this idea of inevitability. And I yeah. think your description of it is not flawed, but there's um, maybe a better way to define it because inevitability assumes that it's the inevitable outcome that's best for everybody. And that's not necessarily mm. the case. So I think, no. I think progress and change is inevitable, but there is a distinction between what ought to be brought in as the best technology versus what's you know, best for, say, the small group of people behind the curtain, for example, whoever they might be, right? Yeah. And so we have this exponential technology that we're relying on to come up with the solutions, but we have you know, a moral ethical code behind it, or maybe it's greed fundamentally that is pushing it in direction that may not be good for the planet or for the common people, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this distinction of what ought to be versus what we're doing. And so yes, in progress or inevitability of progress, but in what direction, at whose benefit? At whose cost? How much harm are we externalizing by bringing in, you know, carbon tax or, you know, whatever the case may be? We have to look at it from many different angles. And what you said earlier, though, as well, is there needs to be a system that incentivizes my best interests to be in line with your best interests. Because right now it's the opposite. We're in a system of capitalism where it's competition. I will do anything to get gain strategic advantage over you, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of how I'm externalizing the harm. And that's the problem, right? And so at the root of all of this, for me, the question I keep asking is how do we align our incentives where my best interest is in line with yours? So you becoming more self-actualized, more profitable, more productive, whatever it might be, is in my best interest. Right. And that's fundamentally the only way we're going to overcome this. Absolutely. And unfortunately, the entire economic system is based on some system that there is more debt than there is money. And so we yeah. have a system of competition that is inherently broken yeah. because we are constantly in a growth paradigm and we value growth in every single way within this economic system. Right. And so unfortunately, there is it's impossible. I'll even dare to use the word impossible <laughs> to say that. At scale, we cannot scale trust in a inherently competitive system. Yes. Okay. But in Bitcoin or something like Bitcoin, like a blockchain technology, for example, 
I don't need to trust you to know that all the computers in the network, all the servers in the network are saying the exact same thing. I don't need to know you. Yeah. So I'm inherently collaborating with you by putting my computer or my system into the play and all the systems in play are saying the exact same thing. So I don't need to know you to trust that that system is fair, equitable and, and working in kind of a collaborative method. Totally. And so this is what I mean by Bitcoin and blockchain technology is inherently a collaborative so system, a yeah. technology, Trustless. literally a technology that is collaborative in every way. Yeah. And we can't just print money out of nowhere. I mean, look, with the entire situation that happened in 2020, I'm not going to say the word because I know it you know, shoots down the <laughs> algorithms and all the different things. With the situation that happened in 2020, we decided as a collective somehow, not, I didn't decide this, but yeah. our governments decided, or I'll say the American government, for example, decided it's going to print 40 of every dollar that has ever been printed in history. Insanity, complete insanity. The inherent problem in that is that all the dollars in your bank account are now going to be worth 40% less slowly, yeah. but that's going to start to ripple out. Well, guess what? That only drastically creates a bigger and bigger inflation to those who have assets and those who are fighting for, you know, it, it essentially accelerates competition. Mm -hmm. And that is scary in every way. You know what I mean? Like, I, And so many people are trying to run, chasing yields, trying to find ways to kind of cover their ass in many ways. And that's sad. But if we yeah. move to, I guess, systems that have different competing forces, right? And so this is back to the kind of the idea of inevitability is what's beautiful about blockchain is there's so many blockchains that we can actually eventually land on one that is kind of better than the other. Mm. And I'm not, I'm really not saying it's Bitcoin necessarily. I actually don't think Bitcoin is the most efficient of systems, but yeah. the, the fundamental technology that is blockchain and some other coins that are out there have really interesting macroeconomic and really brilliant thinkers that have put in time and energy to make a very powerful code, a very powerful way of distributing wealth in a very equitable fashion. Mm. And I think there are inevitable truths that we're going to lose jobs to automation. We're going to lose jobs to the ability for us to work from home or to now hire people abroad that are willing to work for cheaper and all the different things that are going to happen. And so there's kind of these forces at play that I think are baked into our our future that mm. I don't know that we're going to be able to solve. And I don't, I don't know that we have to solve them. I think that we get to find ways, however, to scale trust. And mm. I think the way we scale trust is we build really great decentralized technology mm. and we'll find a way to do that. And I, I think more and more and more we will see, I believe the future is bright in many ways, as much as I'm a doom and gloomer and I can get really caught up in some of these things. I do believe the future is bright in many ways. I just think we're going to, it's not going to be bright for some periods of time. Yeah. Uh, there are, will be massive system, potentially ecosystem collapse when it comes to the oceans, when it comes to uh, coral reefs, when it comes to, you know, the amount of deforestation. And it's not because of my opinion. This is not what I, this is not a political statement. This is, we are cutting more trees than we're planting. We are fishing more fish than are regenerating in the ocean. We are just destroying ecosystems mm. at this point. And we're doing that in the name of competition. And we're doing that in the name of profit. And we're doing that in the name of that's what's best for me and for my business and for my community, my family, those types of things. Totally. But I think that that's changeable. Yeah. No, I do too. I have a lot of hope. Like it keeps me getting up in the morning. Like otherwise I just put a gun in my mouth. You know, it's, it's fucking dire. If you want to go down that path, it's, it's doom and gloom real fast. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a couple of things I want to come back to that you said trust being a, a fundamental factor. And I think this yep. is what, exactly what you're talking about. It's pushing the competition. Like when we lived in tribes of under the Dunbar number of 150 people, we knew each other. Everybody could interact. We could have a conversation. I could look in your eyes and see if I could trust you or not. And anybody who defaults on that tribal trust will be ostracized very quickly. It's when we got beyond that and we started going into villages, nation states, you know, capital cities. It's the incentive for corruption and for hiding shit became that much. If I can get ahead by screwing you, of course I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. And so it's been baked into our economic model this idea of competition and corruption. And we're seeing the zenith of it right now because now we're, you know, it used to be, okay, shit happens in India or shit happens in England. It doesn't really affect me over here in Canada. Now we're global. Now everything happens to everybody, right? And the biggest banks, I mean, what was it? Last Friday, the, the biggest banks got had in, in a scandal where this guy had $200 million, <laughs> a hedge fund had $200 million, went out and borrowed a bunch of money and then block trade the whole thing. On $200 million, he made $15 billion, but he left everyone else holding the bag. Right. 
<laughs> I mean, that's, you know, so in all of their greed, they all got screwed in terms of, I say not all the banks got screwed, but yeah. many big, large scale institutions really got their ass handed to them. And so there's something, yeah, I mean, look, we, I love what you said about Dunbar's number, right? We yeah. used to understand trust in a very different way than yeah. we do today. And I think what's interesting now is because we're in such a global system, we actually, we experienced the consequence of war or of fighting much more rapidly than we used to. Yeah. I think the propensity for massive scale global war is going down because mm -hmm. we are understanding more and more perspective and we are getting more and more perspective coming to us. But we are also becoming less and less interested in kind of mobilizing ourselves because unless it's quick, easy, cheap, unless it's essentially inevitably better for me and cheaper yeah. and easier for me, it's hard to motivate people to do the hard thing. And that is, that is a, a worrisome trend. What do you mean uh, about the hard thing? I mean, the hard thing is like, for example, like, you know, how many people want six pack abs, right? We right. know now with enough information and enough study and enough science and plus, you know, and, and, and even then I, I think there's so many competing forces and things like, oh, we should be keto and we should be this and we should be vegan. Everything right. is in every direction. And, but what we know is that if good diet and exercise daily and, you know, you eat your kale and you do your sit-ups every damn day, you'll have a six-pack abs. But the truth is that what? I think it's 1% of people actually have like what is considered to be a six-pack. Well, <laughs> so it's not because we don't know better. We do know better, yeah. right? We know what it takes to get them. And when 90% of people probably want six-packs, but they don't have it because it is increasingly harder, it yeah. seems, to stay focused because- we're living in an environment where competition is so fierce that if you have to keep up with inflation, keep up with, and I would count on inflation, devaluation of the currency. So if you have to yeah. keep up with rising rents and rising rates to just stay alive, to do the thing that you're trying to do in a continuously more and more competitive environment where you're not only competing now with your fellow human, you're competing with your fellow human across the world yeah. and technology, you're competing with technology, yeah. vying for your job and finding better and better ways to do it more and more effectively. Well, then- you're in more and more and more of a scenario where you have to act quickly. You have to look for the quick win. And yeah. that short term, so what it's doing is it's shortening our attention span, but more, more consequentially, let's say, is that we are no longer really good at making long-term decisions. Yeah. So that's one trend that is without a doubt in our generation, my generation, your generation, where we are getting, we are seeing less and less and less into the future. And that is very, very, very scary because that, that leads to us not seeing the kind of the pitfalls and the brick wall that is, you know, at the end of some of these paths. Yeah. And but even worse than that, even if you see the brick wall at the end of these paths, you're incentivized to take that action now because it's baked into the economic model. Like if yes. you and I are in competition, like I need to put food on my family's table, I'm going to cut that tree down. And if I don't do it, you're going to do it. But it's yep. that tree, if all of us are thinking that way, 7 billion people are thinking, I just need to feed my family today. I'm going to do anything to make that happen, regardless of the externalized harm. That's yep. an unsustainable solution. And that's baked into the economic model. So yep. what we value at the core level is the problem. And it's this greed, this profit at all cost mentality that's driving all of our extinction you know, paths. So again, the question comes back to what is at the root of all of this? We're talking about rival risks, win-lose dynamics, these competitive dynamics, these fragile systems that we build that get more fragile the bigger they get. You know, yep. These are unsustainable. So I don't know if you're familiar with the metaphor of game A versus game B, but yes. there's this is what they, they talk about, the, the game A, game B is, is at the basis of it is fragility, rival risk games, and then top-down broadcast media, which is obviously changing. Now it's becoming more decentralized somewhat. Well, the internet was supposed to do this. It, it kind of did, did for- No, but it did. It did. Yeah. It did it, but then it re-centralized. And then it, it re-centralized. And exactly. it's un-centralized one more time. This, yeah. The blockchain and decentralized tech is making yes. it rise yet again. And we are the internet 98. Blockchain is internet 98. That's what I it totally is. agree. I totally agree. It's going to do the same freaking thing because that's how humans work. We're yeah. all going to run in at one point and then we're all going to run out when we get scared. And that's the way <laughs> that herd mentality works. But those who are ahead of that and can see the longer term vision can understand that we are in the internet of 98 because we are going to decentralize. Again. It yes. And I, that, that gives me a lot of hope on the tech level with crypto and blockchain. That gives me a lot of hope, decentralization. And on the more you know micro level, on the human level, I'm still a big believer in 
personal development at the core of it. If I self-actualize, if I do the healing, if I do the work to become a whole human being, then I become more enabled to show up in community, in conversation, in collaboration with other people who've done the work. We create a coherence. We create a nodal point. And this happens all over the world. I believe it's happening all over the world. Decentralized nodal points of higher consciousness, collective intelligence, which will eventually become a bottom up solution driven by the blockchain, you know? And so this, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Like this feels like a solution, right? I mean, I I think it's happening. Yeah. yeah. I think think the solution is underway in many scenarios. The solution is underway, Um, but then in other scenarios, it's not. And then other scenarios, it's not. But then my conspiratorial mind goes to, okay, wait a minute. You know, there's very smart people, psychopaths at the top of this chain who've thought this through. And they're like, okay, how can we overcome this? And I'm like, so I've gone down that rabbit hole. I don't know if you have, but I've gone some really dark places where basically they're saying, what's the best way to enslave a population? Let's get them to build their own jail, which is basically what blockchain will become, you know, with digital surveillance, with cloud computing, with smart grids, you know, we will be under surveillance at all times with blockchain, you know, and so basically, if you dissent, if you revolt, if you don't do what the state does, they just cut you off. They cut off your internet. They cut off your money. They cut off your access to food. They geofence you into your own house. You know, this, this is scary shit, man. Like this is neo-feudal, technocratic, digital slavery, basically. Well, right? I, I, I don't know about you, but if you looked around the world, that happened without that technology. <laughs> yeah. in the first so yeah. just going to throw yeah. that out there. I mean, look, you'll always be able to use fear as a motivator to get people to play into the control state. But out of that, out of the financial crisis comes Bitcoin. And so I'm going to believe that out of, you know, as the geofencing kind of happens, as we kind of technologically can control and, and, you know, monitor everyone and use AI to do these different things, we'll also build the thing, AI and those things will also build the solutions that help these things go forward, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, AI could lead to our destruction. Yes, 100%. It could be used against us and it will. Yeah. And it also can and will, in my personal opinion, be used for us. We will find a way where we're like, oh, you know what? The f- most effective way of planting more trees is this. The most effective way of, of delivering food to the most amount of people will be that. And so we will use technology to make ourselves better and better and better and better. And so it goes down to kind of a school of thought. It's it's cornucopian versus Malthusian theory, right? It's the idea that we live on a finite planet, finite resources, and where there's some end. That's <laughs> one side of the equation. The other side of the equation, we live on a finite planet with finite resources, but 1% of us are geniuses. And that 1% of us is always going to find better and better ways to do the technology so that, you know, it used to take 90% of us to make all the food that we used to eat. Now it takes like two, two or 3%. I think of our, our people are farmers around the world. Uh, That's not an enormous amount of people. And so, but what's amazing is that still feeding 100% of us right now. Right. I get that some people have food scarcity and all those things. I'm not trying to be insensitive about that. What I'm trying to say is that we found ways to do things better. Now, yeah. better yeah. is not necessarily great, right? <laughs> Monocultures, all those different things. Look, I'm a farmer. I can speak to this, right? I get it. I understand why they do that. It's super difficult to grow your own food and do a diversity of food. But what I think we are lacking is more and more ecosystem level designers. And Mm. we need better top-down thinking from the perspective, not of like media and those kinds of things, because those don't work out well for us. Yeah, But from the perspective of like, hey, I'm going to look at this area and design an ecosystem that is self-sustaining and functioning with the climate that is around me, the environment that is around me, and understanding what works and what doesn't work within that environment. But we don't have that perspective. And so us, the individual in that ecosystem is constantly taking, 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 because we have to, in a sense, where we feel we have to, at least that's more, we could go down that rabbit hole. Mm. We feel we have to, but what we're not seeing and we're not understanding is that all around us, there is food all around us. There's opportunity, Mm. but we have, we've grown designed to only see things when the marketing is slapped on it. We've grown, we like, we only understand that something is for us to consume when it's in a package. And that's so crazy, right? Like that's where we've, we've lost our way. We've lost our way in some reality where we are no longer fully observing the environment around us. And part of that is because we can't afford to, we have to walk super fast from here to work to do the things so we can pay the bill, but that's an endless rat race. And we both know it. And that's why you're in Costa Rica. That's why I go to places like Mexico and go to Costa Rica as well. I mean, there are these pods 
or these places, cities, towns, uh, you know, eco communities, places where people are gathering with kind of a different mindset. Mm. And I believe that just as many people are conspiring for good. In fact, significantly more people are conspiring for good than there are conspiring for evil. Mm, I totally agree with that. And um, coming back to awakening and personal development, I believe is a tipping point and a number. I'm not sure what it is. Some say 10%. But in order to facilitate the next phase shift of consciousness for humanity, it's not going to take everybody awakening all at once, you know, and more people are awakening by the moment, you know, by the minute based on, you know, the catastrophe we've seen in the last year. But, yep. you know, if we reach a tipping point of, say, 10% of people that are awakening, the tide will turn. And I believe we might even be past that tipping point already. We're just waiting for the manifestations to play out. So, again, that keeps me getting up in the morning. But I want to come back to what you said about, like, most people are at the level of survival, especially now with so many people losing their jobs and food scarcity, that they can't even think about, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 10 years into the future. They're thinking about right now and how can I survive in this moment? So yep. even, even for me, like I've got a family, I've got to work to keep food on the table. I want to build a farm. I just, I haven't gotten to it yet. I haven't had the resources. I haven't had the time, you know? So that's on my radar, but I haven't gotten there yet. But I do believe that model, there's a place in Costa Rica called Punta Mona. I don't know if you're familiar with it, which is teaches- I hosted an entire event there. <laughs> of course, you know, Stephen Brooks. Twice. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> I went there last September and I was just fucking blown away. Just the energy of the place. You know, mm -hmm. when you intentionally create a community that is growing their own food with love and community and conscious intentionality, everything fucking changes. You know, yep. just the just your vibe, your energy, being in that environment, being connected with nature, knowing where your food from. We're eating food that came from like five feet away, 10 meters away. You know, it's grown right fucking there. There's no travel. There's no other energy inflicted into it. That for me, and that's what inspired me is like, holy shit, I need to buy, you know, build a farm. I need to, you know, and so I, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, it's like, dude, teach me how to do this shit. <laughs> yeah, how, did you, yeah. how did you get into it? I mean, I fell ass backwards into it, really. I mean, I, <laughs> for me, it was, it was, I got into it really through fear. I got into it through a sense of desperation, yeah. a, a sense of the world was going to collapse. I got into it through doom and gloom, and I just decided I had to do something about it. I'm just, yeah. luckily, I had a, great upbringing from the perspective that I've somehow I've built a confidence and a boldness in my actions. And sometimes I've act before I think. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, in that scenario, I didn't really know what I was embarking on. I had never planted a tree, I'd never installed a solar panel, never built an earthship, never heard and visited an eco village and nothing. But I was starting one. And I had no Love idea. That. Yeah. And, and honestly, had I known all the things it would take and I had I known that it was going to take, you know, this is the beginning of ninth season tomorrow's or beginning of a ninth season. Had I known it was going to take this much effort and energy, I'm not sure I would have started. But, <laughs> but I was acting out of self-interest at that moment in the way that I was fearful that I wanted to change something. And, I, and I've learned that these places will rally lots of amazing people. But mm. it does require a certain amount of resources. And part of those resources, part of the places like Punta Mona are just a little bit ahead of their time. And that's yeah. okay because it's great because people are going to go to the Punta Monas of the world to create that tipping point that you're talking about, right? Yeah. The 10% of people, let's say, that are awakening that, that kind of awakens the rest. So these hubs, these places are going to have massive ripples of impact in every way. Mm. And, and I just was fortunate enough to understand macroeconomics and have a long-term thinking mindset. Yeah. Because yeah. I realized that I couldn't afford not to buy the farm and to do the things that I knew were going to come. Because it was, in my mind, some of these inevitabilities. I wouldn't have called them that at that moment, but there were things that I, I knew or I believed were going to happen that I now know are going to happen and are happening, like the legalization of cannabis, the, you know, the growth of real estate and, and the coming back to the farm, carbon taxes, all kinds of things that I started to see reveal themselves to me. And I recognized that this is the number one way that I can actually free myself, mm, but totally. also in a community of people. And, and I subscribe to the idea of Dunbar's number. Our 80 acre farm is designed to scale to 150 people love it so that people trust one another understand one another and that we attract not so much a homogenous community but really yeah. a diverse community of many different skill sets and thinkers and going back to more of a traditional community mindset and i say traditional because we're still going to use many amazing technologies i'm still going to i plan on you know installing crypto miners in the basement that's going to heat because we have really cheap electricity we have solar panels we have all that kind of stuff and we have cold 
in Canada, we have cold. So, you know, in the, in the winter, if you run miners that heat your house and at the exact same time, they're running off solar and a bunch of different things and they're mining what I would consider to be a the, the, the technology or one of the technologies of the future. It's one of the technologies of the yeah. future. Then realistically, there are better ways of stacking functions. And that's the kind of thing that I learned in yes. permaculture. Right. See, the first stage of permaculture is to observe. It's not to go out in the middle of a cornfield and plant a tree and declare you're going to build a school in which you're going to. It's not that. It's a horrible idea. I'm telling you. And I tell people this all the time. There are many eco villages out there that need your support. The number one thing that our farm needs is more people getting involved. And, you know, when 2020 happened, let's say there was a rush of people that all showed up. And then all of a sudden, everyone got scared again and they had to like start chasing around. And because they were handed out freebies everywhere, because it was money being printed at every corner, now all of a sudden, they were less inclined. Now, there were still more people Googling Bitcoin, right? There were still more people Googling how to make bread. There were still more people growing plants. I mean, the entire ecosystem of farming or growing your own food is on a rise. There is a mm. huge swell of people totally, building totally. backyard or, or balcony gardens. So there is a knowledge that is resurfacing again and an interest that is resurfacing again. And I think we're, you know, in the same way that we had kind of a financial crisis and then kind of a, a social movement, a rise of the protester. We had the, you know, the, the Arab Spring, Occupy Wall Street, all that kind of stuff. We're reliving that cycle right now. We're going to see that kind mm -hmm. of similar cycle play out. There's going to be more unrest at some point, probably in the near future. Uh, and I say near, not like next month or two months from now, but in, in 2022, maybe, or 2023. And then we're going to see a swell, a huge swell of these projects and communities and solutions come forward. And, and what I mm -hmm. like about that is I do believe we're probably, it's an inevitability we'll have universal basic income. And we have the technology that will be able to hand that out in a faster, more efficient way than the way that we were doing it through politics. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Great stuff is going to happen. I, I think really, really cool things. But again, pain. There will be pain. And it's yeah. not to say that it's going to be great for everyone at all times. But in general, the trend will will go well. I think. Yeah. Uh, Mark Angela, it's such an honor to talk to you, man. It's, it's so uh, inspiring, man. You're so, this is what I remember about you, your passion and your knowledge and your wisdom. <laughs> it's like, and your hope, you know, there's so much to be hopeful for, so much to be grateful for. And so again, looking and becoming aware of the problem space in order to come up with adequate solutions is so important. And you are a primary example of somebody that's doing that. So Thank you for the work you're doing in the world, brother. I'm trying. I'm trying. I, I always feel like I'm really not doing as much. And I feel like I'm always trying to get my stuff together. But I've definitely, I've learned, I've learned to embody more and more of an ecosystem-like pace, which is just move slow, move in the direction of change, move in the direction of inevitability, flow yes, like water. That's it. And you said something there I really want to touch upon, scale gratitude. Yes. So, I think it, the number one thing, you know, if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, the number one thing that you can do beyond Facebook ads and funnels and this hack and that hack and do this thing, blah, blah, blah. You're like, I, I've done it. Okay. I've reached hundreds of millions of people online. I figured it out how to do that. Not only my own brand, but other people's brands too. And realistically, the number one thing that you can scale is gratitude. The number one thing you can do is scale the thank you in business, in life, for your own mental health, for your sense of community, for your own sense of personal hope uh, within a what sometimes can feel like a very cold or dire environment or, mm. or reality. And there is so much warmth. There is so much beauty out there. There is so much amazing things for us to cherish. And I think we're now more than ever, you know, finding ways to build community. Now, are we really good at uh, big, large scale communal changes? Like, you know, the, the 2020 told us, no, we're probably not that great at that. So, but we're finding ways to scale that we're repatriating a little bit you know, now that comes with nationalism and some, you know, unfortunate side effects too. But we're finding ways to build resilience within the ecosystem. Mm. And that's what, uh, you know, somebody like Stephen Brooks, who runs Punta Mona and Alegria and, and uh, Ecovia and some of the things, if you haven't watched a Netflix uh, series, uh, it's episode three on Zac Efron, Down to Earth with Zac Efron. I think yeah, it's one. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Go check it out. And, you know, people like him and many others, or he's not the only one, of course, do think about the ecosystem in a very powerful way. And mm. they, and that has ripple effects in a, in a, yeah. Wow. A beautiful. It's a beautiful symphony and you feel it. You feel it. It's an energy. Oh my God. It, do you ever feel it? And it's something I will never forget. And I'll carry with me as an inspiration for the rest of my life. Just being yeah. in that energy, being that connected with nature. I grew up in a city. I don't know about you, but like I grew up in Toronto surrounded by concrete. That's not life, man. You're totally disconnected from nature. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I say this is a Montreal or there's, you know, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's like a Boston, New York thing. Totally. No, I mean, I'm, I'm joking. I, look, I, I also grew up in suburbia. I grew up in Montreal, the suburbs. I didn't really know my neighbors. I grew up in a scenario where the ecosystem was good because it, it yielded a, what I would consider to be an incredibly privileged life for me. Yeah, uh, me too. My parents worked intensely, insanely hard to provide that for me. And I, so do I, right? I've been an entrepreneur for 14 years. I've been doing uh, you know, 10, 12 hour days for as long as I can remember. <laughs> and and I do that out of so much fun and passion and joy. Like I'm so excited about what I do every single day. Awesome. I wake up and I don't have a particular boss or anything, but I do find that, you know, like so many people like how it happens. I want to touch upon this one thing. I think this is really powerful. For sure. One thing that, you know, when I felt really small, when I was watching these documentaries, like, you know, how many people watch Seaspiracy lately? Yeah. Mind numbing. I couldn't even, I had to turn it off halfway through. I was like, I, I remember why I quit. After I ended up turning into eight and a half years of watching a documentary a week, okay, I quit. I couldn't do it any any longer because it was painful. It was I was it was a catharsis. It was it was literally like a it was like I was finding joy in pain in a weird way. Yes. It, it, oh, it, dude, it, I so resonate with that. I so yeah, and and, and that's and that's not healthy for me anymore. <laughs> right? It never was, but well, it was yeah. originally, but it, yeah. it it's now gone. Yeah. But you watch something like Sea Spears and you feel very small. But here's the thing: what I'll say, I always tell people I'm inventing it as much as they are, and guess what? Your county, your mayor, your town, your government, they're inventing it too, right? Mm. Well, how do we respond to a giant global pandemic? Uh, maybe this way. Maybe we should wear a mask. Maybe we shouldn't. Right? All these things that start playing out, we don't know how to do things. People are inventing it all the time. You don't need to own land to plant a tree. You could just go to any park and just pretend like you own it because you kind of do and plant a tree. And I love we've it. Done it. I call it guerrilla gardening. I've <laughs> planted fruit trees in the middle of parks that I used to play in when I was a kid growing up. And these trees are some of the nicest trees I've ever planted. They're amazing. But guess what? Somebody went to that tree and pruned it and made it perfect, like a perfect fruit tree. I have no idea who did it. But all of a sudden, you can go and find, like, you could go plant trees in the middle of your medium on the highway. You could go plant trees everywhere. Do you know the roundabouts when you get off on a highway on an exit? That whole like, giant circle in the middle has got nothing in it. Go farm over there. Go find ways to be involved in the solution. Everything you're saying about, uh, I don't know, I don't have this input, it's all the exact same excuses to why you don't have six-pack apps. It's You know better. You know how to do it. You know what some of the solutions are. You might not know all the pitfalls of those solutions. You might not know how to build an eco-village or blah, 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 blah. You don't know everything. And you're, that's the part of the lesson. That's the journey you're going to be on. But you do know what's right and wrong in your heart. Mm. Your There's something there and inherently you feel. And if you can just do something about it, just like get involved and get involved on a regular basis. Key word there is regular basis. The number one way of scaled community, both online and off, is churches every Sunday. I say that all the time. At our farm, look, we have no religion or dogma. We, have, we don't subscribe to any civic thing. We worship the sun, if anything. And the only thing that I would say is that we meet every single Saturday from April 1st to October 31st, which is the season here in Montreal at the farm. Every single Saturday, I invite people. Every single Saturday, I go. Every single Saturday, there's a grouping of people that show up. And that builds community. That is mm. enough to build momentum. Oh, and my that God. momentum yeah. ripples. Yes, it does. Oh, my God, dude. Your passion is so infectious. I love it. I'm super inspired. <laughs> I want to go plant a fucking tree right now. <laughs> I mean, you're in Costa Rica. You can plant exotic trees. You, you can plant trees I only dream of in my in my, in my dreams at night. I mean, honestly, for real, the, everything that can grow there is insane. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, Costa Rica is one of those places that's, oh, man, you throw a freaking seed on the ground and it will turn into a tree. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, awesome, dude. One of the intentions with this podcast is really make it practical and go plant a tree and do guerrilla gardening definitely falls into that category. But I'm really yeah. curious about your process, your routine. What does Mark Angelo do first thing in the morning every day that aligns you with your mission? Honestly, I think we overvalue routines of other people. I had the shittiest routines of all time. I would wake up in the morning, I'd check my phone. I would not <laughs> drink enough water with lemon. I would not do all the things that everyone's supposed to do. Nah, 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 nah. I, mean, I can sit here and be like, oh my God, I'm going to be shameful. Nah, nah, nah. No, just do what you do you the way you want to do it. Now, I will say that helpful to me, and this is, you know, I've, I've really committed to this in a big way. Tomorrow, I start a 300-day journey where every single day I'm going to get into my body, meaning I'm going to break a sweat every day. Mm. Now, I do that in the morning. That's what I prefer to do at 8 a.m. You know, I work out every 8 a.m. every morning. But if that's something you want to do in the afternoon, you do it in the afternoon. There's things and principles that work for you. 
right? Mm-hmm. I love waking up in the morning and checking the crypto news or checking my emails. I love it. I love it. And I'm not going to change it because it works for me. It's a way that actually kind of gets me into my mind, gets me into my body in other ways. Now, for other people, that's a nightmare, right? They should wake up and they should do meditation. They should take a cold shower and do all those things. I've tried this stuff. I get it. I understand. And there's benefits to all of those things. But I violently, (laughs) not violently, I highly, highly suggest that you make your own version of that routine and you just stick to that. But I will say consistency is very powerful. Yes. You could do something every day that does build momentum for you where something, your own confidence scales with consistency, right? Mm. So if you consistently work out, you're going to consistently get results, then you're going to do really well. And then you'll get feedback from the ecosystem around you, from people around you. And then all of a sudden you're on that train and that momentum is there. Mm. The same is true for any uh, habit that you want to find. I love the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. Okay. Phenomenal. The number one book that any one person should read on the planet. Shout out James Clear. He's a former guest on my podcast. Habits are everything. You are a creature of habit. And so I ask you, what what are your fundamental habits? For me, it's reading the news, little little things. And reading the news for me is not like turning on CNN, okay? I have a wide spectrum of amazing, talented human beings that send emails and text messages and all kinds of things every morning. And I love absorbing that grabbing a nice coffee from the Italian shop downstairs, which I provide eggs to, and I trade my eggs for coffee. I don't pay for my coffee, and I give them eggs. They don't pay for the eggs. And that's that, right? Beautiful. And I work out, get in my body. I think it's huge. Yes, I totally agree with you, man. Your routine should be personalized. It should be you doing you. But I think the trap that people fall into is patterns, conditioning. And yeah. we get this from the media. We get this from our authority figures, from our childhood. We're conditioned to do certain things. And then we cool. get stuck in negative patterns. You, on the other yes. hand, have awakened. You're doing everything you do with conscious intention, which is I a big mean, difference. That, that, my brand says that. Like, somewhat. I, I do stupid <laughs> things, too. Like, I, I'm not a, I, look, I eat, I eat unhealthy foods, too. Like, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm definitely, what I'm good at is catching myself. What I'm yes, good at is understanding. Exactly. exactly. I've learned how in my pattern to build a new pattern that says, Hey, wait a second. You've been on this pattern for a minute. Is this really you? Yeah. Ask myself that question. Is this me? How did you cultivate that level of self-awareness though? You know, honestly, it happened in many ways. Number one, I was a leader. So I was constantly thrown that self-awareness by other people, many times uh, denying it in every way and being really (laughs) defensive. Um, You know, that's my conscious pattern, blah, 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 blah. Right. But you know, and I get it like, but, but I think most importantly, I just, I really, truly wanted to be better than the person I was yesterday all the time. And so I found a way to kind of build small habits that enable me to feel really good. Look, one of the things I suffer from is some form of anxiety and depression. Different moments, I can be way more depressed and way more anxious than other moments. Anxiety comes like I'm in Tulum having the best time ever on the beach. And I'm like, wait a second, boink, spike anxiety. And now all of a sudden I, I feel like I'm on a rat race and there's too many things happening and I don't really know what to do. But guess what? I've learned that when I feel that way, the best thing I can do is take my mind and all the things that are on my mind and write them down in a brain dump. Beautiful. Journal, not writing some dissertation, just a brain dump of tasks that I get to accomplish. And then I take that brain dump and I put it into my calendar and I start prioritizing those things. And I work on those priorities on a daily basis. And for me, it's just, you know, it's kind of to the principle of what made Jerry Seinfeld great as a comedian. He says, look, I write jokes every day. The only thing I try and do is not miss a day where I write jokes. Now, some days I should wake up and I write jokes and they're horrible. There's jokes I've written you'll never see. Yeah. And some days I wake up and write jokes and I'm on fire and I write three of them. They're going to end up in my next special. The point is that the consistency in valuing momentum is worth more than valuing the result of any one action. And so if you can find momentum, that is worth more than anything else in my personal opinion. So that's what I look for in investments that I make. That's what I look for in my career. That's what I look for in the talent of other people. I would rather somebody who's really consistent hiring somebody or working with somebody that's really consistent, but consistently gives me an 80% rather than somebody gives me 100% one day and a 0% the next day and 100% of one is 0% and it's all over the map. It's too difficult. to. Mm. So I found ways to balance myself within that. And, and I must say that the last key to that was I started outsourcing things that I'm just, ref- I refuse to do. I refuse <laughs> to cook. Never going to cook ever, ever, ever. I love barbecuing, but I'm never going to cook. I'm, it just, I refuse to do it, but it doesn't mean I eat unhealthy. It doesn't that... I have a chef who makes meal prep and I refuse to do it because it's just not my highest excitement. I refuse to do these things. So I found where 
my non-negotiables are. I found where the lines in the sand are for me and what I really want to do and what I want to scale. And yeah, you might think I'm lazy because I don't cook, but guess what? I spend the time doing other things that are valuable to me and that are valuable to others. And yeah, I'll pay $12 for a meal that comes in a container that I wash and send back to her and it gets reused and recycled the entire time over and over and over again. It's actually causes on the ecosystem actually causes less stress in every way. It's actually more sustainable for us to give energy to like, rather than all of us owning. Okay. One thing that motivated me to start Valhalla was I hated the idea. This is what seriously, I hated cutting my own grass. I hated the chore of cutting the grass. And I never <laughs> freaking understood why everyone planted grass that we had to cut every freaking week. And I didn't even understand why you had to cut it in the first place. I, I liked it a little longer. And I didn't understand why we had grass in the first place. Right. But I used to think, I used to honestly have the, the idea, what if I got all the neighbors to chip in on getting one of those big lawnmowers and then we can cut the grass like four times as fast because we could just you know go up and down real fast on the tractor. And then I can cut the grass one fourth of the time that I'm currently cutting the grass because I'll do it one week, that neighbor will do it the next week and so on and so forth. And I was collective thinking. But the way that consumerism works is that we all have ladders and drills at our house that we use like two times a year. That's inefficient. That's an inefficient mm -hmm. system. We don't all need a ladder. What we need is access to a ladder. We don't all need cars. What we need is access to cars. So those things are going to be inevitable. Why? How? Well, we have to scale trust. How do we scale trust? Well, you took the ladder and we know you took the ladder because the blockchain tracked that you took the ladder. Hmm. So now you're going to bring the ladder and you're going to take the ladder, but you're going to bring it back. But now we don't all need a ladder. And that's better for all of us. Mm, stacking functions. Planet. Exactly. We have to find ways to stack functions. And it's just, you know, that, that will happen. Right. Yes. Oh my yeah. God. So much wisdom, dude. We could talk for hours and hours. So what an <laughs> honor and pleasure just to drop in with you, Mark Angelo. Thank you dude, so much for your great. time today, dude. I'll ask you one more question. Go if you it. could take all of your experiences, all your wisdom gained and distill them down into one message or one sentence, what would it be? Mm. So it's a two-part sentence. Um, the first part is through intention, you are the architect of the universe. Through mm. attention, you're the engineer of your own reality. To express that, the two key words that I see there are intention and attention. What you intend is the direction of where you're going to go. It's the vision that you have as an entrepreneur, as a human being of any kind, right? Whatever you, know, you do as a career, whatever you do, you choose to do with your day and time. What you wake up in the morning and intend to do will eventually become an architect itself into your reality. But it only architects itself if you also put attention, because I can intend to get six pack abs. I can do the things that learn, make me learn. I can set up the time where I'm going to do the thing, right? I can intend that, but I have to put my attention to it to prove that it is actually of my highest excitement to prove that it is truly the integrity that I get to have. So the space between those two things, intention and attention is called integrity. What you intend is great. It's powerful, super powerful. It's the secret, if you want to call it that. But what you put attention to well, the gap, the bridge between those two is integrity. Because if you can intend it and you can attend to it, then you will be in integrity with yourself. And that builds everything. It's the driving force that everyone feels about who you are. And so we all know when you're buying likes on Instagram or doing some bullshit, we feel it. We understand how real motivations are found within things. And not all the time, like people get tricked and, you know, there's a poor grandma that got called by some scammer on the phone or whatever. And, you know, we don't always feel those intentions behind things. And we don't also put attention to the things that we should, quote unquote, big word that I also try and not use anymore. Shout out to uh, Samantha Lotus, who really hammered that home for me. And I really resisted her forever on it. <laughs> um, the long story short of that is, Integrity is found within yourself. It's not about the outside world and other people, but you are part of an ecosystem. And if you can find the balance between your intentions and your attention, I think you're, you become a god of sorts and you become ever powerful. And, and that builds an enormous amount of momentum. And, and it's the secret to abundance. And it's a secret to a spiral that grows for you and happens for you rather than a life happening to you, I think. Mm. Wow, man. So powerful. I'm going to go back and listen to this episode and take notes. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> you make a couple memes out there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Dude, I thank you so much, Mark Angelo, for your time today. What an honor and pleasure to drop in with you. I'm going to have to have you back on the show, dude. This was just too good. Amazing content. Yeah. Awesome. You want to let people know where they can find you? Oh, you know where. If you got all the way to the end of this podcast, you know where the links are. <laughs> now, what I would prefer that you would go and do is if you like this episode, go support 
this podcast. Click like, hit, mm. hit subscribe, leave. A, look, if you you've listened to this entire episode, it means you like this podcast. You like the host. Maybe you like me as a guest. You kind of like me as a guest. You haven't decided yet if you like <laughs> me as a guest. You, if you want to decide, you can find the links where you always find the links. Yeah. But what you can do is show some love. You can take a small amount of attention and you know, leave a little like, leave a little comment, leave a little, you know, rate the podcast, do a little something like that, because that's what you should be doing for people who you care about. So show <laughs> us a little bit, give us a little bit of attention. Now you already did. That's how you got to the end of this podcast, and I thank you for such. I'll see you in the wherever in the ether and the internet. You know what? I'm on all the platforms. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much, Mark Angelo. What a pleasure, <laughs> dude. We'll talk yeah. to you soon. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate, and review. For more information and show notes, head on over to being-podcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember, live your being.